Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're on Team Human, conscious intervention in the machine. We are taking back the controls, not to restore order, but to promote chaos. Unpredictable human creativity is not the problem, but the solution. Join the party, find the others, throw off the yoke of surveillance and manipulation, and celebrate the quirky, anomalous behaviors and approaches that make real people so much more than robots, algorithms, or consumer profiles. You are not a number. You are a human being. Playing for Team Human today, consciousness and virtual reality researcher Elliot Edge. We have to start talking about VR literacy because media literacy is going to become VR literacy tomorrow. So the sooner we start talking about VR literacy, VR criticism, the better. Elliot will be sharing insights from his new book, Three Essays on Virtual Reality, Civilization, Overlords, and Escape. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. It's been a great week for Team Human. Thousands of new listeners have joined us, thanks in part to live shows in London with Pat Cadigan and Rupert Sheldrake, here in New York with Parker Posey, Molly Crabapple, and Jace Clayton. And Bo Burnham and I finally got to meet in real life instead of just hurling shout-outs across the Twitterverse. Also, our new fundraising campaign has spurred a lot of interest in the show. You've still got one more week to join Team Human as a charter member and get a copy of the Team Human book when it comes out in January as well as all the regular membership perks such as premium content and access to the message boards and speak pipe to ask questions on the show. Please consider supporting us by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support or simply tell your friends to check us out. It's also been a good week for the members of Team Human at Google, who've again taken a stand on the company's business practices by publishing a letter to management in which they refuse to work on a censored version of the search engine for the Chinese government. I figure the letter deserved some encouragement and response from us here at Team Human, and so I offer this response. Dear Google employees, Congratulations on your letter questioning the morality and impact of the censored search engine you are building for China. You are courageously leveraging your power as developers to insist on participating in decisions about how that power is deployed. You are the human beings who have intervened in the machine. Your opposition to certain practices, such as building AI to improve Pentagon weaponry, represents a larger questioning of the relationship of the technology business and its investors to human welfare. 
on all of our behalf, you demanded the information you need to adequately know what you are building and judge whether it aligns with your ethics. You also requested employee participation in ethical reviews of company decisions and a group of representatives to make ethical assessments of controversial projects. I believe at least some of those representatives should come from outside the company, and I humbly offer to serve. I've dedicated my career to understanding the embedded biases in new technologies, predicting their effects, and later explaining the results. I've long argued programmer be programmed, which doesn't just mean learn how to code. It means if you don't understand the operating system you are using, or don't even see it, chances are it is using you. You've recognized the global political and economic operating system on which your programs have been running and to which they contribute. But as you've said, you need evaluators with expertise in crucial sectors of human activity impacted by your work. In addition to myself, I'd suggest Dan Gilmore for his knowledge of the relationship of technology to journalism and free speech, Tim Wu for his understanding of the attention economy, Astra Taylor for the relationship of platforms to art production and debt, Larry Lessig for questions of IP and the law, Alicia Garza for her expertise in social justice and activism, Tristan Harris for the impact of software on behavior and cognition, Marina Gorbis to look at economic equality, Palak Shah and Trevor Schultz to represent digital labor, Richard Maxwell for effects on technology on the environment, and so on, many of whom have appeared on Team Human. Such a committee of people who've been studying the impact of digital technology on essential human rights can use their understanding of larger systems to help you apply your work in ways consistent with your values. You likely already know where to find us. I'm Palak Shah, and I'm on Team Human. My name is Micha Sifri, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Jason Louv, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Danielle Buten, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Bo Burnham, and I'm on Team Human. My name is Moira Weigel, and I'm on Team Cyborg Human. <laughs> Our guest today, Elliot Edge, reminds me of myself. Well, 25 years ago, when I'd hang out with Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna and Robert Anton Wilson, or Are You Serious?, and ponder the wildest possibilities for the emerging digital landscape. He's just written his first book, a set of three essays, really, on the promise and peril of virtual reality, appropriately entitled Three Essays on Virtual Reality. It's my pleasure to welcome Elliot Edge to Team Human. So it's interesting to me, I know, and I look at, when I read this stuff, it reminded me of in the, in the, mid-80s, after I got out of theater school and film school, the only way I could make a living was working as an editor at a magazine called uh, Exposure. Mm. And I was one of the only kids on the block who knew about virtual reality and psychedelics, uh, the archaic revival and Terrence McKenna and all that. I had been to the the Albert Hoffman 50th anniversary of LSD uh, conference in LA and met Leary, met McKenna, met all these people. And the the magazine wanted me to hire people to do some big well piece on virtual reality. Mm. And there was almost nobody who knew about virtual reality then because it wasn't even, I mean, this was before Lawnmower Man, before anything. Right. So I got Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna to each write 2,000 word essays on virtual reality because the only people I thought who could imagine virtual reality appropriately would be people with great experience in hallucinatory realities, Naturally. you know, so get two psychedelic people. So Terrence McKenna writes this thing on, you know, on, uh, how people are going to, he I remember him even saying it, they're going to literally be able to see what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know? And that essay, I feel like that's kind of where you're going with this, that vir the virtual reality space, if we, if rather than informing it with the corporatocracy, mm -hmm. rather than seeing it as an extension of Hollywood mm -hmm. and the great simulation, if instead we saw it as an extension of the human imagination, mm -hmm. where does that take us? Yeah, exactly. If we see it as, if we see it as an extension of imagination, 
and language, self-expression, all those kinds of things, then what we're looking at is very much what Terrence said, which is the next level of communication. And I just really love how he got into, you know, language has paradox, it has um, contradiction, uh, you have to know the language, whereas you can show a VR to an infant or a toddler who doesn't know language, and you can express certain things to them. You know, how you demonstrate stuff to a kid, you walk them through it, that kind of thing. The other angle of this, which I find uh, a little uh, freaky, which I mentioned in the book, is like, what's going to happen when we're doing political rallies in VR or the mega church, like think about the mega church, like Joel Alstein. Uh-huh. What if when he's what happens when he's like not just live broadcasting, but when you're in the VR mega church or boot camp when you're brainwashing people to like learn how to kill people more effectively? So it's like there's those two angles: is that one, it's such a powerful tool for indoctrination, and two we'll be able to see, you'll be able to see what I mean. So that's a, that's a paradox that right. I find really worrisome. Actually. But there's also, I mean, so in the, in the scenarios you're talking about, though, there's the possibility of how powerful are they the more accurate the simulation is. But for me, the scary part is how powerful are they when the simulation has been tweaked to favor certain things. Mm. So... The, the war simulation. Well, let's just tweak that so that the soldier no longer sees the aspects of his victims that would normally provoke an emotional response. Mm-hmm. So let's make the pupils of the people he kills won't get smaller or bigger. The person won't be able to establish rapport with breath. Let's tweak those ones. You know, or each of these things. So you know, you know what I mean? So they're not reality. They're virtual realities. And these are designed realities to provoke or prevent certain human responses from emerging. Mm, you know, that reminds me, I don't know if you ever played Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> no, missed that one. <laughs> missed that one. So the I second... only got up to PlayStation Two. <laughs> <laughs> this was the one of the flagship games for PlayStation Two. It's called Metal Gear Solid yeah. Two: Sons of Liberty. You go through the whole game, and spoiler alert: at the end of the game, turns out that this mission you are on is a simulation to create the perfect soldier. So it's a game inside of uh-huh. a game. It was really brilliant. I mean, it kind of was kind of elevated yeah. games to literature in a way in my mind. Because here you are, tr- like playing as this soldier, and at the end of the game, they're like, "We're training you to be uh, a soldier." It's sort of the opposite of Ender's Game, where they think they're being trained to be a soldier, but they've been fighting the war and VR the whole right, time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly that concept. Yeah. yeah, dude. I mean, the level for manipulation with VR is 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 something that like we all have to. So what started that book was I was thinking about media literacy and the right. need for media literacy, which is what like you introduced me to through Merchants of Cool. Huh. I mean, actually, I've been wanting Back to be to here day. since Merchants of Cool. Oh. <laughs> like talking to me. No <laughs> You're kidding. at the table yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> finally here, man. It took a while. Like, magic is real. So um, as I was conjuring with that, like media literacy, we all need media literacy. Then I was like, oh, my God, we have to start talking about VR literacy because media literacy is going to become VR literacy tomorrow. So the sooner we start talking about VR literacy, VR criticism, the better. Right. But when you talk about VR, you're – imagining it as a better and better simulation mm. of this as opposed to is it is vr all digitally biased in other words is vr like cd records compared to live music ooh um i don't know all i know is all the companies are going to hunt for fidelity they're going to go harder and harder into fidelity even if it gets to that kurtz violin level of tapping into your spinal cord like the matrix and giving you like you know what it was a nano machines like uh-huh. giving you a perfect simulation of your sensory inputs it's gonna want to go there like there's this technological impulse that we have that differentiates us from the rest of the species like we are like other species use tool but we have this urge to tool we do but the fidelity thing the fidelity question always and this is almost a different conversation but you watch a movie 
And it's got different fidelity than the crispest 4K, 16K, whatever right, video right, thing. Right, right, right. And it's like, they can get it so crisp. I was watching that uh, uh, Great Gatsby or something in 4K on one of those super monitors. And all of a sudden, it was just like, this no longer looks like a movie to me. It looks mm. like something else. It's like, yeah, it almost loses its transmission because it's gotten too crisp, too cold. Too that, yeah, that is true. Like, I hate the frame rate change on the yeah. TVs where you just walk by them and it's like, it's there's something grotesque about the loss of the frame rate. Yeah. You know, it used to be so beautiful. Like you watch Pulp Fiction and, and, and you know, like whatever film, the you know, celluloid you're watching, you see it on one of those crisp TVs that they got now. Yeah. My, my dad's got one of those crisp yeah. TVs. I can't watch a damn thing on it. It's like, no, you're right. There's like, as they attempt to go into fidelity, it feels like that, you know, the uncanny valley will always be lurking in the shadow and, and we'll be like trying to, fight it off but fidelity is not a question of resolution there's no. something else i mean that's sort of part of what team human is about you know but there, there's something else when you watch you know a kubrick 2001 and even chris nolan you know mr mm. digital reproduction goes he's the one who restored the original prince mm. and they did that revival of 2001 last month mm. and it's because the emulsion yeah does something different yeah that's, you know, but that's the more psychedelic side of your story. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. psychedelics are emulsion compared to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, compared to VR. Yeah, yeah. They t or that frame, that anti-frame rate thing. Yeah. yeah, psychedelics are celluloid emulsion. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. But you bring them two together. So, so the three essays. Uh, first one's scary one. <laughs> right. Um, the first one is Overlords, and right. actually, I don't know if I, I think the second one is probably scarier because the second one is just about how all culture is analogous to virtual reality. Right. The first one is more uh, an argument that um, if the universe is a computer simulation, then we're supposed to figure that out. It's not supposed to be hidden. It's something that's always going to be found out because, like, if we're kind of dumb primates on this rock destroying our planet and we're able to conjure with the possibility that we're in a virtual reality and if it turns out that that's true it's probably commonplace throughout the universe to figure out that you're in a virtual reality that's probably something that the quote-unquote overlords expect right when will they figure out that they're in a simulation right and then what will they do well, then what can we do? Uh, well, in the essay, I think it would be kind of interesting to kind of build a monument to our overlords, like 2001, like put it in the middle of nowhere. Like make, Do the make opposite, a, so that the, the, the big obelisk is us is, talking to them. Yes, exactly, <laughs> instead of them talking to us, or make a huge statue of Morpheus or something like that. Like, And they'll get the gist, I think, and what I think will probably happen, actually is a lot of weird paranormal phenomenon around there, like crop circles or something like that. Like these liminal experiences will probably show up if we make a giant monument. And they'll talk back to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll talk back to us, but they'll do it in some like coy way where they'll be just as playful as ever. But yeah, I wonder what would happen if we started establishing dialogue with like the larger consciousness system. But if we're if we are, I mean, so do you think that we are in some some simulation that some grad student is doing somewhere? You know? <laughs> like, yeah, I do. Really? <laughs> yeah, I kind of bought that. I bought it. Yeah, and just because you you buy it because it just it seems more probable that we'd yeah. be a simulation, one of zillions of simulations, than that we are the one of the unique points of. Bio biological life. I think it's very probable. I think it's like really probable. And there are different flavors of the simulation hypothesis out there. My favorite one is Tom Campbell's. He's from NASA, Department of Defense. And he Army writes Technical books and stuff? Yeah, he got a great book out there. really changed my life. It's called My Big Toe, My Big Theory of Everything. And it's an 800-page brick. <laughs> and uh, it's... I've, is I've, there an audio version? There is. There's him doing it, actually. And it's really, really wonderful. hours. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, man, I fought that guy forever telling him to try and write a paper. Like, we need a summary, dude. No one's going to read these 800 pages. But it's amazing because yeah. people did. But his version of it is this. You know the ancestor simulation that Bostrom pushes... Tell us. Tell uh, us. So that's the idea that, um, you know, he came up with this interesting mathematical formula where if you look into the future and you imagine post-humans and post-humans create ancestor simulations, then it's more than likely that we're in one of those ancestor simulations. So that's the idea of post-humans doing and it. And an ancestor simulation is what? Oh, so that, that, that the future humans were like, let's make a simulation about what life was like back Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then extrapolate data out of that. 
by letting like the little units go around and do things. Well, you would think that it would also be like, and that's sort of like what happens in AI. Yes. The movie that the robots like they know they don't they're missing feelings and missing stuff, so they run simulations of of back of humanity exactly in order to 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 mine it for you know modifications on themselves exactly yeah, yeah. same kind of deal. In fact, you may have gotten it from AI. Yeah. I don't know where Bostrom got the idea. But it's almost a museum-like thing. Right, exactly. It would be a kind of like museum. Right, it, we're Sturbridge, Massachusetts. Yeah, <laughs> Sturbridge Village. Exactly. <laughs> or yeah. the Renaissance Fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 right on, right on. Now you got it, you got it. Uh, now Tom is totally different. Right. Tom's got a much more brilliant idea. Okay. His idea is this. Um, you know, whenever you come up with a theory of everything, you always start with assumptions. You know, if this is true and this is true and this is true, then we have a theory. But every theory has got assumptions. His theory has two assumptions only. One is that consciousness exists and evolution exists. And he describes consciousness as a system that has information input, information processing, memory, and self-modification, so learning. So that's all a consciousness would be. Experience, processing, learning, and, and um, remembering. And then if you add evolution to that, which is change or die, evolve or die, then you could conceivably build any number of universes, any number of physics, any number of life forms out of that situation. And I always found that to be like a very, very drawing and powerful argument for the creation of reality. But the, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be tech. Though. Oh no! This would be non-physical. This is like not physical. This would be. This would just be a system. That's it. It, it doesn't need to be like a hardware. It would. It's just if you have this system uh, with these rules and it's forced to evolve or die, then it would just morph and morph and grow and grow. It could even create time out of that. So it's a. It's an interesting idea. It's the idea that like. This is all the result of a super AI, and it's not that the super AI is some postgrads computer. It's that the super AI just is. You know, that's one of the interesting thing about cosmology is like you know, so like what Terence McKenna said: yeah. you give us one miracle and we can explain yeah. everything. Like, <laughs> yeah. where did all this come from? Right. Well, the only thing that makes sense is that, like, at least to me, is that. How could you possibly have a universe that begins with all the physical laws, all the matter and energy that ever will be, showing up out of nowhere from no re for no reason or from another dimension or a singularity or a black hole or something? you got to start probably with a system. And uh, cellular autonomy is a great example. You know, a John Conway's famous experiment where you have just four or five rules, and out of these four or five rules, you push go, and you force it to evolve, and it just creates all these weird kind of, like, digital organisms out of it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that, yeah, it's completely likely, more than anything else, that this whole thing's a computer game. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, if you get stoned and look at an old-school uh, screensaver, you know, <laughs> you'll see the emerging properties and go, okay, that's probably what's happening here, too. Mm. But let's just say... I mean, for the sake of argument, there's not much difference between this being the the simulation of an AI, this being the an experiment by a grad student, or this being uh, God taking a piece of himself and putting it somewhere to see whatever. I mean, they're all they're all analogous. They're all analogous because we don't know what the heck is going on here, you know. Yeah. But what does Thinking about reality as a simulation, what does that do for your sense of, of compassion and your obligation to social justice? So in Tom's particular version, which is the one I subscribe to, um, interaction, the computer actually evolved universes and life forms to lower its own entropy. And the way that's done is through socialization, getting along, cooperating, love, that kind of thing. It, it wants to lower its entropy. Why? Because it's like it's fan. No, it doesn't it, want its fan to. No, because no, it's because it's forced to evolve. So the idea is that since it's forced to evolve, it's forced to become pro-social with itself, and so it gives itself little life forms and little experience packets in the form uh -huh. of beings, and it's all just supposed to cooperate over time over pressure and if you look at your own life i think at least in my own is that the more i cooperate the more i don't resist the better things get for me it seems well so you believe then finally that that we live in a 
I hate to even call it this because there's probably a philosophical, you know, background that or baggage that I'm don't know. But you think we live in a moral universe? I do, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yes, and that that the feedback you get in your lifetime is a result of your intent. Like intent is primary. So if you are a, a loving person, the feedback you get is a loving reality. But that doesn't work for the child who's born with AIDS and starvation. No, you know, it's funny because I, 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 this came up in another interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Where they were like, question. well, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. And the thing yeah, is. But this, that wasn't Joe Rogan asking. No, that, no, no, <laughs> no. Part of this whole idea is actually like reincarnation, believe it or not. Because if it's a video game, why should you disappear forever? You respawn. Why don't you just respawn? Yeah, and right. you respawn. After significant pain and suffering. Yeah, after you know? significant pain and suffering, you respawn. And you respawn with those lessons. So it kind of goes back to the Buddhist angle, where it's like, life is suffering. Suffering is here to teach you. Oh, can't we learn some other way? Uh, we demand suffering. Like, that's the thing. We could learn another way, but I see... I mean, just look at New we York City. We demand it. We impose it, though. We impose it. And that's different. I, I, mean, think it's, I think it's twofold. It's not fair. It is I not. Mean, well, There's people out there who have slaves. That's true. And that's nasty. And we're just buying more more smartphones, you know? <laughs> you own part of a slave when you do that. That's very true. No, it's, I, th I think it's that it's twofold. It's not just that it's imposed. That is true. But I also think that we have a tendency to demand suffering in our lives. Right. But the trick is this, this I mean, and I know Buddhism and all came from, from poor and Eastern culture and all, but the way we're talking about it, it feels like it's easy for wealthy white people who see different movies and read science fiction books and have enough money to take psychedelics and even put on <laughs> VR goggles if that's what they want. I don't because I get a migraine, I but um, it's easy to then start talking about life as a simulation and all that. But there's so much work to be done just in the... it. Illusion or not, it's mm -hmm. like let's protect the topsoil, let's protect the babies, the 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 people who are in low lying areas who are about to be flooded out by climate change, even though our government doesn't believe it exists mm -hmm. um, or parts of it. There's so, it's, we're in an all hands on deck moment. Yep. How does knowing that? Oh well, and also just so you know. This is also a simulation. I mean, how does that help us get the people all hands on deck to deal with this imminent catastrophic moment in human human history? I think that it actually, since it's it's not just a simulation, but like you said earlier, it's a moral reality as well. So a kind of capitalistic nihilism, I guess, took over since the industrialists in the 19th century, where it's every man for himself as much as humanly possible and screw the planet. We're going to extract as many resources out of it as possible. But if it's like a karma-based uh, moral universe that also happens to be, just happens to be a simulation, um, it's not that like, well, I'll just kick back and like let the fireworks happen. It's more like it's... Um, you have to do something now because you actually showed up to do something. You were actually born to do something rather than just accrue and accrue wealth or hyper capital or whatever it is. So that's, that's, that's the particular angle I take with VR, with the universe as a simulation, that you were actually born into the video game to participate. In fact, the, the particular nomenclature I like to use is participatory anthropic simulation. So it's participatory, it's anthropic, which means consciousness is involved, and it's a simulation. But it's all there to teach. It's not there to just bask in the glory of. It's there to teach on a kind of religious level like you're talking about, yeah. And the idea of it being a simulation can go right back into Maya. Like that's an early pre-Christian concept, is the right. idea of it being a simulation. I mean, you called it Maya way back when, but this is not a new idea. The language is new, but right. it's not a new idea. Right. The only thing that's new about it is using the kinds of technological simulations we can now create in our world as a metaphor. Correct, yes. For this. Exactly, exactly. So it's not that this is a video game and screw it all to hell. It means like, this is a video game, but it's like a religious video game with a religious purpose in terms of evolving consciousness itself. 
It's pretty funky. It's a pretty funky take, but I'm very attracted to it. And then how did psychedelics play into it? Because it seems like you can have the same without there ever having ever been VR. You could be some kind of ayahuasca mushroom taking person and come up with the, the very same Agreed. Understanding. Yes, exactly. So the the connection, which you're like right on to get, is the connection between virtual reality and altered states of consciousness is that they're entirely the same thing. Uh, go into it in the book is that like when you put on your VR goggles, it's like putting on a new head. And when you take psychedelics, it's like putting on a new head. It's com- you're in a completely different reality frame. And the important thing about it is that they become reference for each other. It's not that this reality is better than that reality. It's that now you have a more robust mechanism to compare and contrast the two. So you get hipper, I would say, right. from experiencing either. And uh, you know the idea, I mean, the DMT trip, the really wild thing about the DMT trip is that it, you know we read testimony about it, it sounds like you're in a giant computer. Like there's this weird geometry that comes at you and everything like that. It's evolving, fractal. There's something about the psychedelics where when you go into really high doses, it feels kind of like computery. It feels really weird. Yeah, but you could argue that that's because we are now living in a digital media environment. Totally. You know, so back when Madame Blavatsky and <laughs> those folks, you know, were were and Mesmer, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, were yeah. doing their their <laughs> spiritual stuff, it was the age of the beginning of radio. Right. So they were all talking about waves, forms coming, and and I'm going to channel this new person and mm-hmm. all. You know, so that that's was true. Their that language. Was, that was very true. And even Freud was talking about drives and engines. Yeah, the right. steam engine to deal with. So no, we always fall. We always use technology as a means of communicating ideas because we see these great. I mean, it kind of comes back to uh, McKenna and VR. Well, I'll show you what I really mean. Right. Because when you have mechanisms mechanisms are just like language, you know, you know, like you see a piston go into a thing. If I describe it verbally, that's one thing. But if you see it actually happening, the mechanic, the mechanism actually happening, then that becomes our metaphor right. of the day. So, I mean, I guess part of the hope with VR is that, I mean, for, 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 all of the great things about language, language was still highly political. Oh yeah, and limited. You know, once someone's kid, I forgot who just told me, um, they, 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 the kid was learning to speak or whatever, and said to his his dad, um, "Gosh, whenever you name something, you kind of kill it." Yeah, and it was like, "Whoa, yeah." Well, you just got damn right. You know, <laughs> damn right. I mean, uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti said the same thing. Right. Once you call it a bird, you have stolen it from the child. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a and beautiful sentiment. And you stole it from itself. I and mean, you it's... did steal it from itself, yeah. Right. It's sort of like the way the Amish don't like to have their photo taken of them. Right. It's like a thing of nature doesn't want a name because once it's been categorized, it's been also, it's been artificially isolated from Correct. the system of which it's a part. Right, right. It breaks Singled us, out. It breaks us from yeah. the unity. It totally breaks right. us from the unity. And uh, that's, that's true. I mean, yeah. language is an opportunity to, you know, put meaning out there. And, uh, you know, this is where I differ from a lot of people where they say that, um, you know, then the answer is silence. The answer is non-language. No, uh, it's, yeah, not, I don't, yeah, it's just yeah. not, not name calling. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's funny in the Trump era, but basically everything is like crooked Hillary, crazy Bernie. <laughs> crooked it's Hillary. Like, but every, every, with, even without the adjective, every noun that we use has all of those embedded judgments. We just don't remember them anymore. They're sort of like dead dead metaphors for us, but they're all in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I guess the, the the original promise, and this was for me in the early 90s or late 80s, the original promise of VR was, oh, wow, now there'll be a way to communicate, like in real life or more like Amazon, you know, American Sign Language or something that's yeah. unencumbered by king's english and right, you know, right, you know right, right, right. fornication under the control of the king and all the way that all of our power words are actually mm. you know uh, uh, sigil magic for our controllers word up but then when i see how the digital environment has been developed and who's doing it you know and the revelations from snowden to to chelsea manning yes it's like oh well i'm not i didn't even watch Avatar in 3D because I didn't <laughs> trust Cameron. I didn't know where, he, where he's going to take me. I watched that on the flat screen. Thank you very much. I'm afraid. Oculus Rift and those people. Am I really gonna? Am I really gonna 
walk into that world? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm more into what individuals are going to do, not what companies are going to do. Individuals could do with platforms that are designed by companies and have embedded logic. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that's too terrible, but I'm just interested in what artists are going to do right. with the tools. That's it. Where it's like, I have an idea for a film where it's like, come into my virtual reality world, and it's like this, these two, this couple meets, and they fall in love. And they spend all their time in the girls' virtual reality world, which is like beautiful mm -hmm. and alien. Looks like a DMT trip. It's like crystalline, perfect. They spend all their time there. They even make love there. It's wonderful. And then eventually she's like, well, let me see your world. And he's like, no. <laughs> I ain't going to let you see my world. Because it's like this HR Giger landscape right. that's like totally filled with like monsters from the cell and Silent Hill and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's about her trying to like, come on, let me see your world. And he gets in there and it's like, a total nightmare right. world. But that's what I'm into in VR is that like I can show you this inner space where I wanna where I hang out and I spend my time and I create stuff. But honestly, I think we're kind of like almost a hundred years away from the kind of VR I imagine where it's right. like the totally immersive. I know. I interviewed uh, not for the show, but a long time ago I interviewed uh, Philip Rosedale, the mm. guy who uh, developed Second Life. Oh yeah. I and just he saw him. told me, I mean, and this was 2004, he said, oh, within 10 years, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to yeah. have VR that is indistinguishable <laughs> from real life. It's and like, and I guess he was talking about the Trump administration, right? <laughs> In a way. but So we did get it, but not the way he was talking. He really thought that we were going to slap Dude. on some goggles or a bodysuit, you know, like Ready Man. Player One, and then just be there. I just That's saw, a long ways off, right? I, yeah, I just saw him at VRTO in uh, yeah. Toronto. Oh, so you go to Karim uh, Yeah, Karim's yeah, I was hanging out with oh, him. Yeah, well, man, and I met Brett from Lawnmower Man. I met Brett. Oh, you he did? was so awesome. We yeah. had like I threw after party after after party uh -huh. for about five days with all those guys. <laughs> I could not stop hanging out with them. I just fell in love with Toronto. Fell in love with all of them. But yeah, Philip gave his pitch for his next like Second Life idea or whatever. And uh, the beginning was great. He's got a great hook. Like the first 10, 15 minutes. Where he's like J.J. Abrams. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just like, for oh my God. I was like, <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat. Yeah. I was just like tingling. And then he got to like his pitch. And I was like, oh man. Right, because yeah. he was like, first of all, he stacked up these kind of arbitrary numbers. I'd hate to say it, but like what people are going to do in VR. And one of them was uh, virtual travel, quote unquote, well, teleconference. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he said that was number one. And I just linked back in my chair and I was like, porn. Number one is going to be porn. <laughs> Get real, dude. Well, that's a porn. form of teleconference. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it's like it's a yeah, but he said virtual travel. And yeah. then the other thing was this. And this kind of like really upset me, actually, is that the thing that made Second Life really great was that everyone could code. Like, you know, they gave you a couple of tools and everyone right. could code their own tools and stuff right. like that. But he started rapping about like infusing a blockchain in there. So there's like digital property. And all I could think about was like, you know, the whole anarchic point of the internet and computers was to destroy scarcity. You can copy a file and share it forever. Now when you infuse that with a blockchain, and like you only get it, like if you pay, you know, there's like a little right. tag to it. You can't share it anymore because it's on the blockchain. And I was just like, this is like the internet and computers are supposed to be about anarchy. They're supposed to be about sharing stuff and ending scarcity. And here we are artificially creating scarcity in a digital environment. Right. And I was just mad as hell. Yeah. I was just like, and then, the, and then he's like, let's, we're going to create a whole second life planet. And, you know, it's going to take a million computers to like, he's like, there's already enough computers in the world to power this. And I'm like, all I can think of is like, great, we'll be burning energy on this right. planet to go right. into a virtual universe right. where Let's I'm buying digital right. off a blockchain. Turn off everybody's pacemakers yeah. and the baby's <laughs> yeah, incubators. Yeah. We need these resources for something yeah, yeah, much yeah, yeah, more exactly. important. Yeah, so, I was like, so I was like, why don't you just turn the moon into a computer <laughs> while you're at it? And we'll get a fake planet and everything. I was like really turned off. I was yeah. really disappointed. Well, it is weird. I mean, there's this. I, I was just thinking about this yesterday that maybe the blockchain thing is a way of convincing capitalism. That's that, it. Well, look. <laughs> create artificial scarcity. We could do this. It's like you could do. It's like they're not paying attention to computer. They're not paying attention to the decentralized possibilities. No. Oh, I know how we can get them to pay attention. Look, the computer can literally make 
money. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> they're looking. Ooh, now they're looking. So this is the thing. I don't understand blockchain very much, but right. let me ask you if this is right. Is it true? I don't know if this is true or not, but is it true that with any blockchain type system, it's automatically by design going to need more and more computing resources like it's an infinite every blockchain is kind of needs growth all the time only ones that use proof of work as and mining okay so you can still have a blockchain that's just pg pretty good privacy that's just encryption okay and no mining it's just it won't necessarily have tokens gotcha but so as long as you're mining, if you're, you're talking, doing a genuinely, yeah, if you're doing mining, then you're mining, then you're then mining, you're mining. <laughs> and that's resources, <laughs> right? So any you're looking for gold, you're, looking you're, for gold. you're <laughs> reifying Man, gold. What a waste of time when you really think about like what computers like. Remember, so like when the PS4, the PS3 yeah. came out, you could you could use the computing resources on there to help like crack some cancer thing. Right. I don't know if you remember that or not. I don't remember the details, but yeah. you could use your excess computing power to like solve medical problems. Here we are using computing resources to do meaningless equations that result in nothing. And I'm just like, right. except for like you spent this much time mining, and it's like that can that could be used for any right. number of applications. So we're ta- exactly, we're taking a planet on which energy is scarce, word, and we're burning the largest <laughs> bonfire in the history of our species just to prove that our money has value. I'm, I'm so against all this. I'm so against all this. I hate all this so that's much. A bad, that's a bad simulation. That's a right? bad simulation. Right, but this that's what bad. it is. It's a simulation of money. It is. It is. It's a simulated currency. Like, the only thing I want is, like, you know, I'm not going to mine. I'll accept a Bitcoin, but I'll, I'm against mining. <laughs> I'll accept a Bitcoin donation, but I'm against mining. Yeah, 100%. well, there's other. I mean, there's other ways of using blockchain that are much less uh, uh, frenetic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, it still feels like a, uh, right now it's a solution looking for a problem. Right. It's like, is the problem that we don't have a good enough ledger? Right. No, the problem is that we have a financial system where the the right. You know, or the fiat currency. Right. So yeah. we could, I, we could all keep better track of the fact that we're screwing the poor. <laughs> right. Great. With ever greater granularity and precision. <laughs> the point oh one percent. I know will. which follicle I'm hitting them on now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So three essays on virtual reality. We got three main essays. Yes. Overlords, civilization, and escape. Plus a wonderful introduction. I liked I liked the escape essay the best, but that's that. That's, oh yeah, they, I'm, I'm a what do we do now? Kind oh, of guy. I, I yeah, I agree. I agree. What do we do now? Well, I think we should do some uh, retreat and get those hyper capitalists, uh, you know, up to speed. You know, because you're talking about building bunkers and hiding. <laughs> right. I know that was this essay that went nuts. I yeah, yeah, met these billionaires, right? Who were like, how do we maintain control of our uh, security force after the event? Um, yeah, talk about there. Talk about escape. I mean, and some of them do believe in the in the simulation. Uh, uh, well, you know, those are the idea. guys. Those are the guys I want to talk to because that last essay is all about that. So my whole thing is this: if the, yeah, let's 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 yeah. yeah. So let's, let's do them in let's order. Okay. So, so so what's the logic of overlord civilizations and escape? So those the, it's really just looking at the VR metaphor through different lenses. It's 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 not here's VR, here's VR, here. It's just looking at the metaphor. The first one is about if we're in a computer simulation, then Eventually, we're supposed to figure it out. That's the first essay. The second essay, Civilization, is about how cultures of virtual reality, your body creates a simulation of the physical universe, your mind is obviously a virtual reality, because if I ask you what's going on next Friday, you have to imagine it. So it's about how you can't escape the virtual reality metaphor. That's the second essay. The last essay, Escape, is going into the whole idea that if this is a computer simulated virtual reality, how do we get into how do we get out of it? I argue that like I don't know what method they're using, but I heard some billionaires are funding some scientists to kind of figure it out. Right. And I had to jump on that train. Yeah. Like I had to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what you're doing, but I got an idea. And uh, it's like my argument is that it's not gonna be tech. It's like Mario trying to build something to get out of the Mushroom Kingdom. It's right. like not going to work, bud. So my thing is actually like I think it's going to be psychedelics. I think it's psychedelics and altered states of consciousness. And you won't really be able to escape, but you'll be able to like get out of this layer of the map and go into some other layer of the map and then come back and have a kind of 
But couldn't people do it without psychedelics? I mean, can't they do like I mean, shamanic take, uh, rituals yeah, yeah, and sure. Buddhist meditation? Sure, I mean, sensory deprivation. Yes, yeah, I mean, it does take longer. But yeah, if you do sensory deprivation, you're basically doing the same thing. I mean, because, you know, I, I, I read, um, I think I've talked about it on this show before, too, um, David Lynch's book on meditation, Catching the Big Fish. Love that book. And I was just like, oh, my God, he's... He's like my little guru awakened Yoda guy. Yeah, now. he is. It's like, he is. But he talks about meditation and like how first you just see all the thoughts, but then right. you see past them like to yes. the wall, the white wall, yeah. the thing. And that's kind of what you're talking about is he's getting out of the simulation to some other place. No, you're 100% about it because the other interesting thing about Tom Campbell, the guy from NASA, when he wasn't at NASA, he was working with Bob Monroe, the guy who wrote the book Journeys Out of the Body, and he was his physicist when they were building the lab and everything. And he was one of the pioneers with Dennis Menerich who used uh, binaural beat technology to do right. out-of-body experience. Right. So actually, out-of-body experience itself without drugs that's actually getting out of the simulation. Right. And the, the tradition you're talking about is these folks, they're like in, in, in Virginia, North Carolina, right. they set up these institutes. There was one, um, uh, Brother Charles did these tapes, hemispheric alignment tapes. Exactly. And, and, uh, hemisync. Hemisync, yeah. And then <laughs> this guy, Robert Monroe, who wrote Journeys Out of Body, and they were associated with the people who did uh, lucid dreaming. Right. And, also and then there's the remote viewers and SRI, and that's the same thing. Right. So there were all of these people, basically in the 80s and 90s, working on various techniques to use that weird liminal place between waking and sleeping right. to then escape the body. And it was at the same time as uh, uh, this book called Life After Life, where the scientists talked to all these people who had the near-death experience. Oh, wow. And how that was this out-of-body thing. And the people who right. had the near-death experience, just like the people who journeyed out of body, the thing was in call amazing Randy because this stuff seems to be real. <laughs> they can He's tell you conversations that happen like in other buildings or, yes. you know, they yes. can tell you stuff that happened when they were supposedly asleep. Yeah. Have you ever done, away. have you ever done a remote viewing experiment yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other thing than the remote viewing guys. And there was some government money that went into that. Yeah. And no, I spent some time with him. Uh, uh, Targ uh, or put off. No, the other one. Swan. Uh, no. Buchanan. Um, no, the military guy, Morris, uh, D David, Morehouse? Oh, yeah, Morehouse. Yeah, David sure. David Morehouse, who wrote this book about, you know, the, these these army guys who would, you know, oh, try yeah, to right. find the, like, goats. The, the enemy munitions places. Like, they would journey out of body and, mm -hmm. you know, try to do psychic warfare spying on, you know, and it's like half of it's right, half of it's not. And then half of it, you know, when you try to look at the documentation, it's like, the movie, The Philadelphia Experiment, about, you know, <laughs> battleships moving in space and soldiers getting stuck in the melted metal as interdimensional accidents. <laughs> so it goes, it goes nuts. But I, I, I am a fan of uh, unassisted, uh, unassisted journeys, because it feels to me, if you take a drug and then see whatever you see, in the back of your mind, you always know, I was stoned I was high. out of my I mind. I was really high when it happened. <laughs> I was really high. But I got to tell you, it was neat. It was neat. <laughs> and the dog spoke to me. You know? So it's like, okay. Um, it's, it's funny because I'm super pro psychedelics. Like uh, super pro, but mostly for healing. Right. Exploration is awesome and, and, and finding parts of yourself. But, but just... The ability it has to give you access to your subconscious and unconscious, as well as right now with like Pollen's book. I mean, good for Pollen for bringing it into the mainstream. Because yeah, Michael Pollen wrote yeah. this book um, on microdosing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it? How to Change Your Mind. Right. And right now, uh, when we think about, um, you know, mental health is a global crisis. In 2001, the World Health Organization put out a report that said one in four people suffer from mental illness. Now it's like two and four or three and four, which makes total sense. And it, when you look at the turnaround rate for mental illness, it, uh, treating it with psychedelic psychotherapy. So I don't mean like dropping acid by yourself. I mean right. like doing it in a therapeutic setting. Um, when, you, when you stack that data against like what? The last 30 years of pharmacology, Prozac, Paxil, Wellbutrin, all that stuff can't hold a candle. Well, there's two different metaphors or two different models of healing. One is how can a person with a mental illness maintain that mental illness and still function in this reality? Mm -hmm. Well, then take a daily antidepressant. That's right. If you want to actually, oh, 
this person's got a is, is is walking around with a distorted lens or a confusion or is still bearing the weight of something that happened. If they want to, I hate to even use a word like this, but get better. If they want to uh, uh, transition, if they want to move on, um, that's something else. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to some psychedelic session, it's like you might do this thing once. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Let's and just talk it. through it. Yeah, you know, get so so when you go, you know, the the South American shaman who takes you through an ayahuasca, they call it a cleansing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they look at it's the same way you'd go for like your colonoscopy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's not or a, co- a colonic or something. <laughs> it's sort of a psychic colonic. It's like, oh wow, you're really holding on to the stuff your mom was doing to you when you were little. Exactly. Or you're really, you know, I understand you're worried about politics and all that, but you have a personal attachment that you need to let go of in order yeah. to be more effective and. So I saw a wonderful premiere of a movie that everyone should see. It's called From Shock to Awe. So it takes the shock and awe meme Mm -hmm. and makes it wonderful. And it's about veterans from the Iraq and Afghanistan war who are utterly crippled by PTSD. Totally crippled. It is so bad that they basically fear for their children. That is how dead inside they are. They are so desperate. They do something like one of them did 90 medications over a four-year period. It's unreal. I mean, when this movie started, I wept. When it ended, I was still weeping. The movie is about how they go from this unbelievable trauma, this totally life-crippling trauma where you can't even drive down the street because you're watching for an IED. Mm. Like that's how bad it gets. They do ayahuasca ceremony, and they totally transform. (laughs) It was one of the most beautiful films I'd ever seen. I really, really, I think every American should see it, and I really think it should be screened before Congress. What's funny, you look at that, and then you compare that to um, 60 Minutes did a piece in the... the in the 1960s, mm. about um, psychedelics being used for alcoholics. Yeah. And they were all getting healed. Yeah. You know, like, like without 12 steps of that, they were just like, boom, gone. Mm. And uh, it was right before they were made completely illegal, because, mm. oh, uh-oh, I mean... Well, the guy behind uh, Bill in the big book, the right. guy behind AA, I'm pretty sure he... Uh, I'm pretty sure the story is this. He reached out to Carl Jung and said, I need help. And Carl Jung like, looked at his case and said, nothing's going to help you except for like some profound religious crisis. That's the only thing that's going to help you, bud. And then the guy found LSD, and he had this vision of uh, what he called a chain of alcoholics all over the world. And that gave him the idea from AA, supposedly. That's the yeah. rumor I heard. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, LSD, yeah, AA is a psychedelic operation, covertly. <laughs> it's interesting, but it does. But that's the whole thing. I mean, and that's and that's you know, and, and some people have teased me that I've talked about psychedelics on this show. When I'm talking about the psychedelic frame, I don't necessarily mean that someone has to be taking these drugs to have a psychedelic frame. No, definitely I mean, not. No. You know, I mean, as a kid raised watching things like the Banana Splits. Yeah, that's I pretty mean, psychedelic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, cartoons are a psychedelic. I didn't need any, any drugs. I mean, we were raised in a, in the, even just advertising was a psychedelic phenomenon or yes. box of Tide. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, well, it's funny, but, uh, commercials are low-grade psychedelics. Right. I mean, they take you on this weird trip, you're in and out, and it's funny you mention it because there's one other time I saw you actually I was in the audience at some place what's the media center around this way I think it's called uh, I don't know there's a theater there or something too oh in the Skirball theater at NYU there was something called yeah the center for communication the center for communication where yeah, I interviewed so these advertising people yeah, yeah I was in the crowd and I and I actually asked you like what do you think of t- can you rap about the connection between the internet and psychedelics. And he asked me this question, just to listen. He asked me this question in front of like the president of DDP Needham. <laughs> you know, the, these are like serious 50 something year old executives in suits talking about advertising and social good and all that. It's like, all right, someone who read Siberia. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's funny because even, even at VRTO, um, I was part of the, you know, the my talk was called um, uh, the Cyberdelic Concrescence, Resurrecting Terrence McKenna, and, oh, well, and so I think we're, let's. Uh, uh, we're going to find that online. And uh, it, it will it, that. eventually. Is it'll that... get on there. It's not on there yet, but eventually it'll get All on right. there. But on the panel talk, um, everyone there was ahead. Everyone on the panel was ahead. Brett from Lawnmower Man was there, and a bunch of other people. The president of the Toronto Psychedelic Society was there. We were like the queer kids of the whole VRTO event. Like, we were the weird heads who were, like, looking at the... VRTO as an event is already... I mean, VR Toronto, I guess, is what it says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's already the intersection of sort of spiritual psychedelic community with the VR 
digital community. Right. And there was a lot of capitalists there, too. So it was like this unbelievable interdisciplinary thing going on there. It was really cool. But when they came up to me on the panel, like, what's the one thing that hits you whenever you're on psychedelic? Like, what's the question that always comes to your mind? And I was lucky. I had a couple of minutes to think about it because I was like halfway this down the line. This was a question on a panel? This was a question. <laughs> dude, um, Kent Bai asked this question. Uh, Kent Bai from Voices of VR asked uh -huh. this question. And um, when it got up to me, I, I told the truth, which is whenever I take psychedelics, all I can think about is how do I get more people to try psychedelics? Yeah. That's the only thing that comes to mind. So whenever I'm at a, a talk or something and there's like someone up there who I know is going to be psychedelic friendly, I always go up like, can you talk to us about acid, please? <laughs> <laughs> can you recommend it? <laughs> <laughs> Will you go on the record and recommend psychedelics for your readers and audience? <laughs> Hey, I mean, they'll come up with a great marketing scheme after right. their trip. But at least, it, I mean, it's interesting because you say, I was thinking about, about pot. There's a lot of people I know that the first thing they think about, the first question they ask themselves when they get high on pot is, where do they get more pot? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 naturally. But on LSD, no, the it's never. thing, it's not that, where do I get more LSD? It's, no. how do I turn on the others? Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. That's totally true. Yeah, that's that's exactly my opinion. I think that... Uh, I think actually that in terms of like the immediacy you're talking about, like how do we fix things in the moment right yeah. now? I really think the answer is going to be yeah. psychedelics. But dude. I would I I would argue that that psychedelics is not the umbrella. Psychedelics is a subset. In other words, I, I yeah. feel like psychedelics is one of the ways that people in this society can rehumanize. I agree. But that's really what it is. When you 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 might take psychedelics or you might have great sex or you might connect with other people or you might grow something in the ground or you might bake a loaf of bread mm. and you realize, oh my God, how do I share what I've just done? Because yeah. I've just rehumanized. I yeah. felt I've been living at scale. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. And then the first thing you think, it's interesting. The first thing you think when you really live at human scale is, how do I scale this up? Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. You always we always go there. So it's like, man, I can make this bigger. It's American though. I mean, it's I have a American. feeling the llama on the on the hill in Himalaya, whatever, you know, who who sees the truth and he sits there. Is he thinking, how do I evangelize this to the rest of humanity? No. No. How do I relieve they their pain wait for and them suffering? To, no, they just wait for it to come to them and then they play out their role. Like, no, there's something about Westerners. We love transmitting. We really love transmitting. Like, yeah. I mean, from piracy on, I mean, it's all just about getting getting the word, the yeah. logos, getting the logos out there, you know? Right. Well, then that gets me to the big question then, is if we've spent the last thousand or so years as Westerners, is the best next move for us to transmit good things instead of the awful capitalist crap we've been transmitting? Or... Just to shut up. I don't. I don't think we can help ourselves. I think we're way too perverse to shut up. Like we <laughs> cannot. No, we can't. We can't. We, we just have to change the message because, like, you can't get people to stop talking. Look at you and me. Like, we can't right. stop talking. Are you kidding? Like, right. So if Netflix is going to have you know ninety three new shows every season, a sure. new series, then let's just shove in good ones in there. Yeah. Let's make content that's. Positive or yeah, this is all programming. I mean, programmer be programmed, dude. You know, it's like I really believed that. With you, that was a great meme. That's a great meme, and it's true. It is, but the challenge to programmer be programmed is: well, can we just transcend the programs altogether? If you figure it out, let me know. Because I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, I have to talk about it in terms of VR to talk about like transcending the program. Like I have to use virtual reality metaphors and AI metaphors. Right. So it's still another story. So it's a, it becomes a meta programming. I mean, I don't really think you can escape it. I mean, even the DNA is programming. I mean, I think that all you can do is. I don't think. I think when you're dead you've stopped taking an input like then you're done with the programming but no i don't think we're all going to become silent llamas i think that the message is going to change yeah i think that's the only that's the real only the big deal is that the message has just got to change and the interest has to change right yeah but otherwise you know we're not going to stop gabbing you know this is our magnificent bastard pirate tongue like it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> it's fun anyway but yeah yeah, it's tricky. It's funny because this this show, you know, the Team Human show, it 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 has two things are going on. One is 
this, you know, desperate and urgent call to action. Yes. Find the others, live more harmoniously, communicate more effectively, and and the others, not just the others who agree with us, but the other others. The other others. You know, engage with whoever it is, and if, if it's flyover country that you're afraid of, then go there right now. Yeah. You know, be with those people, you know, and 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 uh, engage with their humanity, and you'll find out, oh my gosh, look what mm. they're afraid of. Look what, you know. I'm done with eating the rich. I'm ready to save the rich. At this point, like forget eating the rich. Let's save them from their hyper, their isolating hyper capital, help yeah. them get reintegrated into society so they have human connection again rather than their power clicks. Well, and right. If we can, and this is, I mean, and, and this is my idealism showing through, but I keep thinking if I could teach them that it's, it's a bad business move to try to earn enough money to insulate themselves from is. the reality they're creating with their business. It is. That's well, that self-defeating. It is self-defeating, and it's two-pronged. Like, one, they got to invest in whatever they're doing to keep it going, and then they have to invest in protecting themselves. So it's like... There's and the like, world it, gets it's, worse around them And it gets them worse around them, go. and they don't dig it. You know, I mean, I don't believe they dig it. I think right. that they get off on certain financial moves, but there's plenty of super rich people I've met where they're like, I am so bored. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, right. I, all I know is I can buy and sell the street and I don't even care anymore. Right. So and those are the people, though, that are turning to they're turning to guys like uh, Ken Jordan, who runs Evolver. That's they're right. They're going to the assemblage to see okay. they're going to Ken Wilbur in, right. in Boulder. And That's they're saying, right. somebody turn me on. Tell yeah. me what this is Ron for. Ron Doss. You right. know, they're all going. So they're all. I but think, they're going in ways usually. I mean, they can go to Esalen they can't go to right now, but they'll go to an Esalen or an Omega, and it's like, give me enough to feel good about myself without actually challenging my buckets of wealth. Well, that's, that's what it's going to be, is we got to take that next step, because you're right. Right now, it's just a retreat. We have to do a retreat where you don't come back, where you go there, and you come back 100% different. So I think, I think the idea is to, like A, get them to invest pro-socially at the event, hardcore, like, because the thing is that the only thing that's more exciting than making a lot of money is losing a lot of money. <laughs> like, it'll give you the adrenaline high. You would think you just got up to the top of the roller coaster. Yeah, you want to have the ride. Down? Yeah, you got to ride down, man. <laughs> like, do you want to do it? Do you want to do it now, or do you want to lose it on a short, like on a right. short stock or something like that? Exactly. You know, or do you want to dump it into this? homeless shelter where right. we can save hundreds of thousands of people a year right. put your name on it feel good about yourself swing by reconnect to humanity so what's next for you so what's next going on um well now that I, you're a famous well-paid <laughs> author now that amazon revenue is just pouring in i know it's just crazy that's the first thing i always think of after i write a book is like what am i gonna do with all this money yeah, yeah right exactly yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, I'm, it's in the double digits now. Right. So, <laughs> so check this. Uh, the next thing I'm going to do is, you know, I'm always writing um, on Medium, so you can follow me on Medium for sure. I've got some essays I'm working on there. I'd really like to, um, I think, take this book and expand it. But what I really want to do now is um, I'm starting, I don't know if it's going to be called The Foundation or The Effort, but it's called the, right now I'm calling it the International Psychedelic Foundation. It might end up being the International Psychedelic Effort. The idea is I want to get 50,000 signatures on a petition. Uh, they will be from scientists, medical people, psychologists, social workers, lawyers, and veterans. Those are the only people signing the petition. I want 50,000 of them. I want to take it to the UN, and the whole idea is look at your psychedelic laws. Look at them again, because the fact that it's Schedule 1 and there has no medical value under Schedule 1 is no longer scientifically medically sound. We are running off of Nixon-era policies that became international under Reagan. In 2016, the UN had a conference called the UNGASS, and it was like nearly unanimous that everyone is upset with the drug war. It's not working. Mental health is still a major crisis. So my thing now is like, psychedelics have to be normalized for mental health but you know we could talk about whether it's a whether it's a right personal like right to you know play with your consciousness but and we have a show on that if you if you want to hear um look back in the archives at a show with julie holland who's a uh, psychedelic uh psychiatrist and researcher i mean and there's a few people rick doblin is doblin. doing a lot of good work in this area so there are people doing you know responsible uh, uh responsible psychiatric Healthcare. That's right. With 
um, with with psychedelics, and mm. they're 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 having pretty profound uh, uh, research results. And they're really and and really what you're saying, which is true, is that I mean the problem was in the at the same moment that psychedelics were being uh, experimented with America. American government was afraid of a revolution from within, yeah, from the very same community. Right, exactly. So, and in fact, you, there's documentation now where you find that the war on drugs was specifically to target blacks, like the Black Panthers, and the um, anti-war movement because they were all using psychedelics and stuff. Right. And it was specifically a, tar- a move by Nixon to lay the hammer down on them because Nixon was terrorized yeah. by the anti-war movement during both his terms. I mean, you ever watch the the great movie with Anthony Hopkins? It's just oh, yeah. it's just Hopkins versus the hippies. But that was the yeah. whole Nixon administration. And what we have now is, you know, Reagan forwarded the agenda. We have like what, 40, 50 years of the war on drugs. It's a total failure and it's held back medical science. And the people do not need to suffer as right. they do. Right, but it's—I mean—it's a time-tested way for funding wars. Absolutely. You know? So and, you know, we'd have to figure out another way to pay for killing. But and once the, we do that, they were good. We can get our drugs. Again. Oh, they get them on the blockchain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pentagon on the blockchain. Put war. That's but, a, oh my god. Can le- you imagine? You heard it here, folks. <laughs> war is going to be funded by the blockchain. But the last point is yeah. this: I really want to make is that like. It's a human rights and a patient's rights violation now. At this point, the medical research, the whole petition says this is a human rights violation. It is a patient's rights violation. These pharmaceuticals are not doing the trick. We now have studies that say like cannabis, MDMA, ketamine, ayahuasca, all this stuff cures depression, cures anxiety, cures PTSD. And OCD, and like the list goes on and on. So now I claim it's a human rights issue. And maybe most importantly, it gives you a chance. It does. To get out of it, the virtual reality simulation <laughs> in which we are currently trapped. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Elliot Edge. Your new book, Three Essays on Virtual Reality, available. Just go online and get it from him directly at... Amazon. No, from you directly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can. Cheaper, better? Well, actually. Better for you. No, actually, Amazon gives me a huge cut. Oh, they do? Yeah, yeah, CreateSpace gives me a huge cut. So, so in the name of Jeff Bezos, support Elliot Edge. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Doug. Thanks for joining Team Human. Our guest today was the author of three essays on virtual reality, Elliot Edge. We have links to his books and other work at teamhuman.fm. You've still got one more week to join Team Human as a charter member and get a copy of the Team Human book when it comes out in January. Please consider supporting us by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support or simply tell your friends to check us out. You're on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.